Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning once again, and we ask that you would take this time that we have dedicated to your worship. Lord, that you would bless the singing, the special music, the preaching. Lord, that when we come to the time of invitation, that we would surrender those things in our lives that need to be surrendered. And Lord, that we would move forward in those areas where you have directed us, that our lives may be obedient to thy word. We ask that we may serve you, that we may worship you and receive your blessings this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Scripture in the book of Psalms, Psalm 37. And uh, I don't know that I've ever referred to this verse without referring to the fact that it's one of the most misrepresented verses in the entire Scripture. Now, last Sunday morning, we spent our time talking about the pleasure of God, what pleases God, and we looked that it did please God to bruise, to, for Jesus to suffer in, in our place, that God is pleased with the salvation of souls. God is not pleased just simply with the sacrifices of animals, but he wants to use the preaching of his word to save the lost. And it's God's pleasure that we should serve him through his church. Now, this Sunday morning, I would like for us to look at our pleasure. And, of course, the first thing that's going to come up is the battle that goes on every day between what pleases us and what pleases God. And we look at Psalm 34 and verse 37, verse 4, I'm sorry, Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Now look at verse 11 of the same chapter. It says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now these two verses says that God wants to give us the desires of our heart. But only after we delight in him. And the reason for that is very simple. Jeremiah the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It is only when we delight ourselves in the Lord that he changes the desires of our heart and can grant them. This is the absolute antithesis. And, and I hate to keep bringing up names and, and just talking about things, but the most influential book, quote unquote, by those who track these things in Christianity today, the most influential book in Christianity today is this Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And Purpose Driven Christianity, he now has Purpose Driven Church and he is working in uh, the country of, uh, I believe, Rwanda, but don't quote me on the name of the nation, but uh, 
the, the president of the country comes and attends services in the church, Rick Warren, and preaches in in California. And, and he is on record as saying they're trying to develop a purpose-driven nation. And um, the idea here of the purpose-driven church, and if you want the best commentary I've ever heard on it, I don't recommend everything by this man. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but a man named Rush Limbaugh gave the best commentary I've ever heard anybody give on the purpose-driven life. And, and I want to just spend a moment on this because there is, it is such a point, it is such a reference point in Christianity today. Uh, in fact, I believe in recent history, the purpose-driven Christianity, the purpose-driven life books have sold almost as many copies as the Bible. It, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, the, some of you will remember back the, the background for Mr. Limbaugh's uh, exposition on this book was in Atlanta, Georgia, several years ago. You'll remember there was a convicted murderer who uh, managed to get the guard close enough to the cage in which he was being kept in to kill the guard there in the courtroom, escape from the cage. He took and kidnapped a court officer, a young woman, and made her take him to her apartment, and there he forced her to hide him out while the law was looking for him, and they did not find him. She began talking to this man, and make a long story short, he turned himself into the authorities and surrendered without harming her or anyone else. And her testimony was, I used the purpose-driven book and my Bible to convince this murderer to set me free. Now, that's a good thing, that the murderer set her free and did not harm her. But this is the philosophy that is in the book. And no, I don't own a copy of the book. And no, I have no intentions of ever reading the rest of the book because of the commentary I'm about to give you. She said in the book, and Rush Limbaugh quoted the book in, in his commentary on it, that God has put certain desires in your heart, and you are to realize those desires. That you are to take those desires and write them over the word of God and remind God that he has put these desires in your heart and he will give them to you. And she said, I wanted to live. And so I kept reminding this man that I wanted to live. And that there was no reason that he should harm me. And after three days of this, he surrendered to my will and surrendered to the authorities and set me free. Now, we're glad that the woman was not harmed. We're utterly glad. And we're glad that that killer surrendered himself to the authorities and now is in prison serving his term. And frankly, I hope he never gets out of prison. But the simple truth is that's not Christianity. God has put desires in our heart. The problem is we spend most of our life drowning them out with everything that is around us. And I, I want us to look at several scriptures this morning. And if we don't finish this all uh, today, we'll just pick up next Sunday morning, okay? Because this is an important point. And, and I want us to go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58. And Isaiah had a lot to say. Isaiah was a preacher to the nation of Israel. 
at a time when they were at their, uh, when they were just simply morally bankrupt as a people. Israel had long since turned its back on God. If you'll remember, they were the ten northern tribes of Israel. If you study and, and come to our Sunday school, we go through these and we don't take time to cover every king in order in Israel and Judah. But the one thing about Israel that stands out, if you read the Bible, the, his, the history of the kings of northern Israel, not one of the northern kings served God. Every one of them did wickedness in the sight of God. And Isaiah was sent to preach to this people. And as we go through this chapter here, we're going to find out this idea of delighting in the Lord. And so let's start in verse 1. It says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Ye seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. I don't know if you see the contradiction in those two verses. The the. Verse 1, Isaiah is told to cry aloud and show his people their transgression. Verse 2, it says, they seek me daily. Is that not a good thing? Look at the rest of it. They delight to know my ways. Is that not a good thing? They ask of me the ordinances of justice. Is that not a good thing? They take delight. In approaching to God. Are those not all positive things? Would we not say that that is what the Christian life ought to be about? And yet God says, wait a minute. I, I want you to understand something. Even though you like coming to church, we'll just modernize it here. You like hearing the preaching of the word. You delight yourself in approaching to me. You want to know what the Bible says. He says, you're not doing it at all. You see, just having a desire to go to church and hear about Christ is not delighting in the Lord. It's two different things. I think we hear more about Jesus today than at any other time in human history. I mean, we have entire broadcasting networks that all they do is talk about Jesus. Isn't that true? And yet you, we have paid programming on regular television and we have entire radio stations. Uh, even in New York City, I believe that there are at least two full-time 24-hour radio stations that do nothing but talk about Jesus. And uh, we would say, why are we having the problems? Christianity is not on the increase today. It's on the decrease. In fact, I, I just want to take a, an aside from the message this morning. I hope you looked in your bulletin. There's 
about 18 different pastors and ministries here that we had a little part in at Heartland Baptist Bible College last week. Our total giving was $5,140, and someone must say, well, Pastor, you asked for $5,000 to take to the meeting, and I had another 190 given to us while we were at, it, at the meeting. And uh, so uh, I'm going to go through the list and get that last $50 and mail out a check this week sometime so that we empty that account. We had 88 different preachers sign up and uh, at the meeting there at Heartland Baptist Bible College, almost every one of them were either resurrecting a near-dead church or starting a new church. That's it. I'll tell you what, if, if I'm going to be encouraged about what is going on in this country, that's where I'm going to be encouraged. And we... Uh, at the meeting there, a total was raised for one-time gifts of over $170,000 Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this past week, and almost $8,000 a month in support was raised for those preachers. Now, you stop and think about that. Some of that support was for two years, some of it for one year, but... but you take 9,000 times 12, that's another $108,000. I mean, I'm excited about that. And I'll tell you, it is a privilege. You, you, wanna, you want your pastor to have Christmas, send me to the home missions conference with lots of money to give away. I mean, there is nothing more fun than that, just being able to stand up and help someone else. It is. And I wish I could pack up the whole church the only problem is if we took the whole church there, we'd give everything away and have to come back and sell the building. Uh, but uh, it's just that kind of meeting. And, and uh, it is, the Bible's not kidding when it says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because I remember going to those meetings, not this one in particular, they did not have this meeting uh, at, was not going at the main time we were raising money to purchase our building but it's many of those same preachers that helped us in such a tremendous way that are still there giving. And uh, some of them have expressed uh, uh, testimony to our church that they're excited that we come. At, they remember when we used to say, please help us. And now they're excited when we're saying, let us help someone else. And, and that's what it's about, my friend. And uh, yet, I want you to understand something. Just wanting to come to church is nowhere near delighting yourself in the Lord. If it is a struggle just to make it to services, we've got to work on our Christianity. That is the message of Isaiah to his people, Israel. He said, you're going through all the motions. And of course, we could go to the New Testament and we could talk about the letter to the Laodicean church, how that they were enriched and increased with goods and all of this. But let's stick with our text here this morning. He says, I want you to show Jacob their sins. They seek me daily. They delight in approaching to God. 
And yet they ask the question that tells all in verse 3. It says, Wherefore have we fasted, say thee, and thou seest not? It says, Lord, we've done all of these things. We fasted and prayed, and, and you're not answering our prayers. Now let me ask you a question. How many of us here, my hands first one up, could use more answered prayers in our life? Okay? We want and we need God to answer prayers. Amen? But how many of you prayed for something and God didn't answer that prayer in recent history? Almost every hand ought to go up. I mean, we, we pray for things all the time. And God doesn't answer those prayers. Why? Is the problem with God? Absolutely not. We know the answer to that question. The problem is not God. The problem is not his power. The problem is not his ability to answer prayer. Now, sometimes we pray for other people to get saved. And we ought to. But you can't change another person's heart. Only God can. And sometimes I wonder when we pray for other people to get saved. Maybe our prayer ought to be. Lord make my life. An impetus. Or a motivation to move that person closer to Christ. I think God would answer that prayer. Because just as we plead and, and, and we ought to plead for souls, the Bible is very clear about that. But sometimes God does not answer our prayers even for the right things. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And if I were to ask us the question, how many of you have really desired something that you know God said no to? Again, every hand would have to be raised because we have wanted those things. We have asked God to give us things that he has said no to. And yet we read in the Bible that if we pray according to his will, that he wants to hear and answer those prayers, we know that he wants to do things. Now, here is our problem with the purpose-driven life is you keep praying for something, God may answer that prayer regardless of your spirituality. How many of you remember King Hezekiah? He prayed that God would give him life and not death. Isaiah, the prophet, had appeared to him. He said, set your house in order. You're not getting better. You're going to die. And he walks out. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he wept before God and he prayed. And before he even, Isaiah even reached the outer court of the king's palace, God turned around and said, tell Hezekiah he's going to live. I've, I've heard his prayer. How many of you know what the main result or the main accomplishment of Hezekiah's 15 years of life Manasseh, the most evil king that ever reigned in the city of Jerusalem. 
In fact, God said, I will not erase the sins of Manasseh. But I'm going to destroy this city for the things that Manasseh did. I am not going to forget them. Now, by the way, even though God made that promise, Manasseh repented in prison in Babylon and was the only king taken to Babylon as a captive and returned to the throne of Israel as a king. You see, God loves saving sinners. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Amen. But I just have to wonder what might have happened if Hezekiah had said, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go home. We wouldn't have had Manasseh. In Israel, Jerusalem, sorry, Jerusalem would have been a lot better off than the people of Judah. But look at verse 3. It says, Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure, and exact all your labor. Behold, ye fast for strife, and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. The prophet is coming to the people and saying, listen, you are fasting and you are praying and you say that you delight in approaching to God, but God's not listening to you. Because when you come and you say you're serving God, it says, look there, verse, verse 3, the last phrase, behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. It says, listen, you don't give up anything when you fast. You find all your pleasures. Now, many of us are familiar with, because the news media loves to record these things for some strange reason, the Islamic Feast of Ramadan. Now, you're supposed to fast all day from sun up to sunset. But who knows what is the chief characteristic of the feast of Ramadan? It is the incredible feasting and gorging of yourself from food from the time the sun goes down to the time the sun goes up. That's what Ramadan is all about. How many of you have ever eaten a huge Incredible meal, about 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. Do you feel like eating breakfast the next morning? Some people are going, yes, but I'll tell you what, if you really overload the gate, I mean, you go all the way. I mean, you just fill it right up to the brim. You wake up that next morning, it's like, mm-hmm, well, I don't feel like eating anything right now. I mean, it takes you half a day to get hungry again. This is what the psalmist is talking about. I mean, the prophet is talking about. He says, you, you talk about fasting, but you're not going hungry. You're just making yourself hungry so you can gorge yourself more when you get to the dinner table as soon as the sun goes down. 
That's not what fasting is about. It's saying you're not giving up anything that is pleasurable to you. And it says you exact all your labors. Now, this idea of the Old Testament Sabbath, and we're going to get to it a little further here in a few moments. But you were not to work on the Sabbath day. You remember as the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, they were to gather the manna six days. And on Friday, they were to gather twice as much on Friday. And they were not to go out Saturday at all. In fact, if they were going to cook the manna in any way, if they were going to roll it into flour and make cakes out of it or whatever, they were supposed to have all that done before sunset Friday night. Now, if they attempted that any other day of the week, it bred worms and stank. But on Saturday, the Sabbath day, they were able to cook and prepare everything on Friday and it kept perfectly through the Sabbath. And on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, there would be food there again to go out and gather. Sabbath was a day of rest. By the way, the economy of the children of Israel was what we call a subsistence economy. The Bible says in the Old Testament, if a man does, or actually it reiterates it in the New Testament, if a man does not work, he shouldn't eat. Now here was the idea. Is you worked either in your field or in someone else's field if you work for someone else. And the money that you earned, the laborer earned for working that day would be spent on his way home so that he could buy food for that evening and the next morning so that when he came home the next night with the next day's wages, they would eat again. If he did not work, he literally did not eat. It's something you and I, we just can't comprehend in modern day America. Because we have so much. Even our poor have cans of food in the closet. And if you run out of money and cannot buy food, there are many places you can go and have food given to you. I mean, it's an incredible thing. It's almost amazing that people do go hungry in this nation, and people do. But most of all, most of the time, when people go hungry in this nation, it's because of liquor, drugs, cigarettes, immorality, other things like this that cost money. There's almost no reason for anyone to go hungry here in the United States. But people do. But I want you to understand something. This is what we mean by understanding our Bible literally. If we were, could transport ourselves back to the days of Isaiah, if you did not labor in the field, your family did not eat that night. Or if you did, it was only what you could scrape and, and beg from other people. It was, it was a very stringent, it was a very strict economy. 
And it says, listen, you've exacted all of your pleasures in the day that you fast. You have this great big meal at night. As soon as the sun goes down, you have everything that you want. You exact all of your labors. You don't give your servants a break when you fast. You make sure they're out in the fields working and preparing your food and making sure that everything goes just the way that you want it to go. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest for everyone, even the servants. Food preparation was supposed to be done on the day before. There were no games. There were no anything going on on the Sabbath. It was not a day to go and worship God. That was every day of the week in the Jewish economy. It was a day to stay home and rest and pray and talk to God. When you fasted, what you were in essence were doing was taking another Sabbath. But these people were exacting all of their labors. They were making sure that all their deals went through, that their income was coming in in a steady stream. And when they did fast and debate, uh, fast for God and really get in earnest, it was because that they felt someone else had wronged them and they wanted God to judge this person or, or to make this person be fair to them. It was not what God had at all. You see, a true fast in verse 6, well, let's just touch on verse 5. I don't want to skip over this. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast an acceptable day to the Lord? Number one, just a desire to go to church is not delighting yourself in the Lord. Number two, God told Isaiah, I want you to show my people their sin against me and just to deprive yourself, just to go through these motions. See, this is one of the great differences between Bible Christianity and false religion. The word is asceticism. How many people are familiar with that word? That is where you purposely deny yourself good things of life in order to make yourself pleasing unto God. Now, God is preaching against asceticism here. That's why the, um, how many remember the old pole sitters? Does anybody remember the pole sitters from the 60s? They would sit on top of a pole for 30 days, 90 days. In fact, this goes back to the, uh, medieval monks, I think it was about three or 400 A.D., this one monk sat on a pile of rocks. It was just about three or four feet high. And he kept adding to the pile as he went through this time of denying himself human company. And before the whole thing was gone, it was over, he was sitting on a pile of rocks nearly 100 feet high to separate himself from the 3,000 or so people that had gathered around the base of his monument watching him separate himself from society unto God. 
Now, what do we have there? We have the worship of some idiot sitting on a pile of rocks now, don't we? Yet these things went on. Monasteries. We isolate ourselves from the world. Well, you know what people soon found out? Life in the monastery was a whole lot better than it was outside. And so, all of a sudden, we have 3,000 people living in a monastic environment so they can separate themselves from the world. And if you ever study the history of the monastic movement, please don't, you'll find that it holds the most depraved chapters of human history. Because when man separates himself from the world just to separate himself from the world, he doesn't separate himself from his deceitful and wicked heart. It goes with him into the monastery. And all that wickedness, in fact, it soon became known that if you really wanted to have a party, where you went was to the monastery, not to the local bar. This is how depraved man gets. You see, asceticism is not the answer. Just saying no to yourself for the purpose of saying no is not holiness. Now, sometimes it's good. I mean, I believe in educating my children. I, I've used this phrase many times. You know, I, I, want, I want my kids to know this, the meaning of two words, no and now. If they can get those two words, they'll, they'll have an education. Wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, there's a lot of adults that don't know the meaning of those two words. And we need to get a hold of that. Because that's, those are two tough words. But just because you know how to say no to yourself, does that make you holy? No. Now, here's the reasons of a true fast. Look at with me in verse 6 and 7. Is this not the fast I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? How many of you struggle with sin in your lives? Fasting is the answer. Fast about that problem. How many of you carry heavy burdens? To undo heavy burdens is the next one. How many of you know people that are oppressed by many different things? And by the way, we as Americans ought to start praying because there's some people in Washington that want to oppress the American people. We have a mayor that wants to tax churches. Do you know what the taxes on this building would be? $44,000 a year. It's about half our general fund. We couldn't operate if we had to do that. Let me tell you something. We need to start praying. When you die and have to give up half of your estate because of taxes, that's oppression, my friend. We need to fast and pray. That's the answer. And there are many oppressed all over this world that have much less freedom than we do here in America. We need to pray for those people. How? That's what fasting is about. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? You see, this was talking about a person 
who only had enough money to buy food for one day at a time to feed themselves and their family. If you were going to feed someone that had less food than you did, you in essence would lose your meals so that you could give them to someone else. We do not know that level of poverty here in the United States. And yet I want to tell you this was not considered poverty in these days. This is what was considered middle class. Because most of us could stand to skip a day or two without food, live off the fat of the land for a little bit, and give that food to someone who had to skip meals because they didn't have enough money to buy their own food. That's what this is talking about here. That, those are the reasons of the fasting. And then the next big passage of here, verses 8 through 12, talk about the blessings that come upon those people who will get serious about their relationship with God. But I want us to go down to verse 13 and 14, the last two verses of this chapter. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Now look at verse 14. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. You see, this is what I mean when the Bible defines the Bible. You want the commentary on the Bible. You want someone to explain to you what the Bible means. You got to get into the Bible because it will always explain itself. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Look at verse 14. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. Now how many of you want God to give you the desires of your heart? Number one, a million dollars. Number two, a second million dollars. Number three, enough money to pay taxes on the first two wishes, right? No, that's not what God's talking about here. Here we go. Number one, turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable. Now, for the New Testament Christian, we do not keep Saturday as a Sabbath day. Saturday is, a, and by the way, we do not keep Sunday as a Sabbath day either. Because every day is supposed to be the Sabbath day for the Christian. How many of us as Christians have tried to do something to please God? That's not honoring God. And that's not keeping the Sabbath. The Christian life is not a tit and tat. Does anybody know what I mean by tit for tat? That means where you do this, you hit me on the right shoulder, I'm going to hit you on the right shoulder. 
God doesn't say, okay, you put so many dollars in the offering plate, I'll give you so many dollars next week. God doesn't yet turn on TVN and that's what they're preaching. You give me a hundred dollars and God will give you a thousand. God's not a slot machine, my friend. To treat him as such is blasphemy against his name. To turn away thy foot means to keep your foot in bed. It means not to walk, not to work on the Sabbath day. We do not work for our salvation because Jesus performed all the work. That's what pleased God. Amen? We do not work for our salvation. We take the freedom and the rest that God gives us in giving us our salvation and use that freedom and rest to serve God. That's the difference between true Christianity and just another false religion. But I don't know about you. I like to do things. How about you? I like to be doing. I don't like to just sit down and wait for something to happen. I like to make things happen. And I can promise you as we try to make things happen for God, we will dishonor him and lose his blessings. Brother Marshall was able to go with me to the meeting. We picked him up in Pennsylvania, and I'll tell you what, it was a great time of fellowship, and he and I got talking about this very idea here of there are some pastors that would build churches whether Jesus showed up or not. There are just some pastors that are like businessmen. You put them in... Uh, what was that one guy years ago? They gave him a dollar and sent him out in the street and he traded that dollar for something and traded that for something and before the end of the week he was trading uh, caterpillar bulldozers and heavy equipment for hundreds of thousands of dollars a, a shot and he started out with only one dollar. Let me tell you, that's great ability. But that ability is not what God wants in his service. God wants the ability that he gives you. You know what the hardest thing for a person that has talent to do? Or great ability in one area is to put that ability or talent on the shelf and wait until God empowers them to serve him. This is what it means to keep the Sabbath for the Christian. What I do for God comes from his ability, not from my own. And then it gives us three things here to honor God. Number one, not doing thine own ways. The Bible tells us that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. In 1 Thessalonians it says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. John the Baptist said of Jesus, He must increase, I must decrease. Not doing 
thine own ways. What is the second one? Nor finding thine own pleasure. There's lots of things that would please us. Like sleeping in on Sunday morning. Amen? Or whatever you can put in there. But if you want God to be pleased, take that thing that you struggle with and ask God to make it an act of faith in obedience to him and give up your pleasure in order to obey his word, do you not think God would be honored with that kind of activity in our lives? This is what it means to delight thyself in the Lord. Not find, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. How many of you have said, just want to give him a piece of my mind? Come on now. Now be careful. Most of us don't have very much to spare, so keep it. Don't give it away. Amen. But how many of us have tried to straighten something out with our words? Every hand in here ought to go up now, shouldn't it? It's easy to look at someone else's life and find the problems. It's really difficult to look at our own life. Do you think that's what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about the moat and the beam? Uh, I think it was. That's why I say you want to witness to somebody, give them God's words, not your words. If you really want to be a help to someone, find out what the Bible says about that and just give them God's words and not your words. Do you think if you did these three things, it would change the way you live? I'll guarantee it would. Because it says, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And you see, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, that's what opens the door for him to give us the desires of our heart because the desires of our heart are no longer ours. They're, they're now his. Now this may not be popular preaching, but it is the word of God. And I'll tell you what, if you want true joy and delight in your life, I promise you something. This is the only place you're going to find it. Is when your delights are in God. Then you'll be satisfied with him. And what he does. And by the way, can God do anything less than what is best for all involved? No, he can't because he's God. And so when we look at what pleases God, and then we look at what ought to please us, we find that there is a battle that has to be enjoined so that I can fight against mine own ways and my own desire and understanding of pleasure and my own words. It says, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, 
and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now those are some incredible blessings there, are they not? If we will allow ourselves to delight in God, He will give us the desires of our heart and we'll find that joy and that satisfaction and that purpose of life and that direction. All of those things that the world strives for and never gets. The question is, are you willing to do what the Bible says, to delight yourself in the Lord? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we ask that your word would be understood and that it would not be complicated by the preaching this morning. It's very simple. That we're not to do our own ways. We're not to seek our own pleasure. We're not to speak our own words. Lord, we're to honor you by not doing our own works. And Lord, we're to call this good and righteous and holy. Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to put a practicality to this message. To put simple things that we can each as individuals do in our lives this week to realize these things. Lord, we're glad that you're a God that is so gracious and merciful. You will not take away our salvation because of our disobedience to you. But Lord, I think I can pray on behalf of each one in this room that we would all like to have a little more of that joy and those blessings and those answers to prayers that your word speaks about. We ask that our eyes would be open to see real things that we can change where we do our own ways. Things that can be changed that when we seek our own pleasures, things that can be changed when we speak our own words. Lord, we pray that we would surrender to you and worship you today by being obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. In fact, let's not even sing this morning. Let's just let the piano play.